and uh, this is this is not me hosting the episode. I I I'm, I'll, I'll ask you to introduce yourself, but I think I'm I'm gonna have to give a little bit of a background to this, basically. Uh, and it feels very odd to not be the one shouting hello <laughs> at the start of the episode. But no, I think this is quite funny because you reached out to me and just just said you know that I have questions and I think it should it would be nice to have an episode where you know you just get to talk and answer the questions and. I just put you on a spotlight and told you you should be the one hosting the episode because I genuinely don't think I could think of anybody better to host this episode. And I'll tell more about who you are in our relationship and how we've come to be friends. But would you like to introduce yourself? I'm Amla Mehta. I live in India and I have known Prana for about 10 years now. Yeah. Yes, that's my claim to fame. I've known Prana for 10 years now. <laughs> no, you've known me for more than 10, I think. Yeah. Oh, yes. yeah. We're, we're coming up to 12 years. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. I know. Yes. So for anybody listening in for a podcast called Love and Citizenship, Amla was my first love. We she, she was the first person I ever told that I liked. And we had a long distance relationship for a year, I want to say. Around. Yeah. Maybe Around less than a year. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we both went to separate boarding schools. But what I'm completely blown away by is and it's been an interesting thing to be like it feels like almost an experiment that I'm part of because I think our friendship now is quite good and I would consider you in my close circles which is very uh I think I can say the same about you and it has been a journey our friendship but I think today we're at a really good space where uh pretty much can confide in you for anything which is awesome (laughs) I, I, I find there's something to be said about, I don't know, just how old were we? I think we were 14, I think. Yeah, I think like ninth grade. Yeah, yeah, I was definitely 14. And I, I find something so innocent and cute about that time as well, because I think we've seen each other grow since then and gone through periods where we didn't speak to each other at all and then slowly found our way back to each other. And now we meet as adults and there is this deep friendship that we share. And I mean, I could, I could be here rambling about it, but I'm very, very grateful that we have that. What I'm curious, though, is the why, why, what made you think, and I know I should be the one being interviewed, but you can't, you know, shake whole habits. What made you want to, or what made you go, you know, he needs to answer questions? Why, why did you pitch that idea to me? Uh, so I have been following your podcast since you started. And I often feel like when you're interviewing guests, you have things to say, but you keep cutting yourself off in order to give them precedence. And I feel like I want to know what you have to say as well, which Mm -hmm. is why I recommended that, you know, uh, somebody should interview you on your podcast. And then you just countered with like, you do it. So here we are. (laughs) Here we are. And I'm guessing you have a couple of questions lined up. Uh, yes, uh, I have questions. People have questions. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so, so just 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 before we deep dive into the questions, there were a couple of questions that have not made it to the list. If you're one of the people who sent those questions and are listening to this, Amla and I, we were joking right before we started recording. There was some weird "would you rather" questions, and I don't want to answer them because they're they're not conducive to a good, meaningful conversation in any which way. They're a ridiculous conversation to have, but I think there's better questions definitely that we've had. And I'm curious to see. I'm curious to see what... I mean, I could ask them, but I have a no. feeling they won't make it through. <laughs> I'll so. edit them out. I will edit them out. <laughs> um, okay, so first let's start with Maggie, because I think 
she is yep. a star of the show in her own right yeah. and um everyone wants to know how is she doing so if you're a first time listener well thank you for signing up to an episode where i just talk about my life but no maggie maggie was uh my co-host for season 1 by virtue of just sleeping in my room and so i started this podcast when i was in india during the lockdown i'd moved back from ireland i was living in india for a year before i moved to london and maggie was just there and but beyond that obviously i've known maggie for 10 years now and for me to me she is i mean for anybody that doesn't maybe have that relationship with their pets or doesn't share this experience it'll be hard for you to maybe understand but maggie for me is my child i have so many good memories of maggie we we share it's hard to explain we 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 share something really beautiful maggie's my everything and it's it's especially difficult because maggie hasn't been keeping well we found out a couple of months back that she has cancer so she does get chemo and if you're not familiar with this chemo in dogs isn't so much to cure the cancer it's to extend the quality of life and she's you know 11 at this point the idea is for to make sure she's not in pain she's living well she is i got a video this morning of her just rolling around in the grass which is great to see adorable Yeah but the I mean the hardest thing is I'm never going to see her again but when when it happens and when she passes away I just hope I know she'll be surrounded with love but I think I just hope she goes away peacefully because that's the least and the very fucking least that she deserves she's she's been the most important thing in my life yeah but Maggie's just I mean Maggie's just doing life as she's always done sleeping eating and sleeping some more and that's all I can wish for her Well, I'm sure that you know she's had a lovely lovely time with you, especially in yeah. the pandemic because you got so much time with her. I mean, I consider this my greatest privilege that I got to spend every day with her for the last year that I got to spend with her. And I'd kiss her goodnight every night and I'd lie next to her and just cuddle her for a bit before I went to bed. It'll be weird, it'll be weird going home and knowing that she won't be around. But right now, you know, she's probably sleeping in my mom's room. and that that's good to know that's lovely uh so talking about the pandemic i think you started the podcast in the mm-hmm. pandemic people want to know why is it called love and citizenship i know you and i have talked about this and i mm-hmm. know that you've mentioned this in your earlier probably your first episode of season 1 yeah. but why love and citizenship when i started writing creatively into more more regularly i think i've always written before i used to always scribble But when I started taking it seriously I wanted to try my hand at a story. I my last I mean I'm I'm sure we'll talk about this at some point in this episode but I've I've dated people and I've had relationships but what in non-monogamy you'd call a nesting partner or a primary partner there's different versions of it and primary has a hierarchical connotation that I don't subscribe to. But basically my nesting partner I haven't had a nesting partner since my last relationship and that was a monogamous relationship. and that ended in 2018 march of 2018 and there was a lot of who i am today came in the aftermath the lessons that i'd started to learn in that relationship but most definitely the aftermath and the growth of that and vishrath who is the character in the story that i was writing love and citizenship that uh, it was called finding love and citizenship and it was a quest about a, a character very loosely obviously i'd be a shit creative if i didn't have an imagination you know So it wasn't me Vishrath isn't me but in many ways I created this character which could embody a lot of my flaws but also things that I hoped for 
or hope to be different in that moment. And so the first like rough drafts of the story came about in summer of 2018. And then I constantly thought about it. I bought the writer project domain, never did anything with it. But then I started doing storytelling nights and, you know, I was like, hey, I actually am a decent storyteller. And so when I finally started putting things out, finding love and citizenship was one of those things. And there were themes that I was hoping to explore in those stories and in Vishrath's journey and Nat's journey as well. Nat is the central character who is not, you know, my ex. And with, with Nat, I didn't want to so much kind of, you know, you, you often have those breakup stories where like they're evil. I don't think my ex is evil. I think it's taken me a journey to come to this. But, you know, she, she's a lovely, kind, wonderful human being. We just wouldn't be right for each other. And I, that's what that story was always meant to be. So it was very, very interesting to then come to a realization that I didn't want to do that anymore. But I still wanted to explore the stories. I still wanted to explore the themes, the central things that I wanted people to find out. And I, I, I figured it'd be far more interesting to get real people sharing and talking about their lived experience as opposed to just my own. Because I do think I'm interesting, but people are far more interesting than I am. And I'd much rather be the facilitator of those stories than the creator of those stories, if that makes sense. And I've, I've loved it. I think for me, I still write. I'm still writing at the moment. Well, not at the moment because of dissertation, this. But I, I enjoy podcasting far more than I ever expected to. I think we've managed to, in, in doing two seasons now, practically cover everything that I ever wanted to do with that first draft of a story. There's still like, I, I, I've put out for anybody that's interested. I, I leave the links for it below. It's still on the writer project. The first four parts of Finding Love and Citizenship. And it ends with a cycle of winter. And it, it, it is an end of its own. It's the end of that relationship. And it's how I wish I w our relationship would have ended with me and my exes. So maybe someday I'll go back and write it and finish it. But I don't know if I want to, if that makes sense. But yeah, that's Absolutely. why in a very roundabout way, that's why it's called Love and Citizenship. Because it was inspired by the short story that I was writing. But I think this has taken a whole life of its own at this point. And we're very grateful for it. But I don't agree with you when you say that, uh, you know, you have other people whose lives are more interesting because we have a lot of people who are very keen about to know about, you know, your love life and what your journey through non-monogamy has been. So, um, yes, uh, can you talk to us about that? I it's 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 funny and I, I use funny as a word because I don't I can't think of another word at the moment, but. My journey with non-monogamy has, you know, some people see it as an orientation, some see it as a lifestyle. For me, I, it's, it's, it's very hard because I think it's part of me. It's who I am. It's an identity. Non-monogamy is more natural to me than monogamy is. I am not a very jealous human being. And jealousy isn't wrong, by the way, for anybody listening in. But I think what's happened now by virtue of growing as a person like it's it's a very hard one to explain, but I think I've I've got the capacity to hold space for conversations around jealousy with partners. There's a story I talk about in the episode that I did with Rachel Wright, which was the episode about non-monogamy. And Rachel is very significant to me for my own journey because she was one of the first people that I ever got to see living their life as a completely non-monogamous human being and actually, you know, being happy. Because I was never offered the model I never even knew till I went to college. You know, then people started hearing about open relationships, but they were always shitty open relationships. You know, it's just like 
it wasn't it still isn't the model of a relationship I would want where you're like just sleeping with other people but not engaging in heart and love and emotions and if it works for you I'm, I'm never going to judge people for it but it just for me it never made sense it's like why am I just sleeping with other people why can't I date these other people and because I thought monogamy was all that was offered to me I thought I was diseased or ill or something broken because I wanted more than just my partner and I, I've written about this I will continue to write about this because there's still a lot more that needs to be talked about in terms of you know, the reason I write personal essays is with the hope that somebody can read this and connect with it. And if one person does and feels less alone in their experience, that's why I do personal essays in in a very roundabout way. And I'm going on a bit of a ramble. Non-monogamy for me came about, with, I was sitting at an interview, I was conducting interviews with my boss at the time for volunteer positions. And I remember turning to her and saying, you know, I don't think monogamy is for me. And we talked about it and she suggested that there was a non-monogamy support group in Dublin that I could find helpful. So I looked them up, went to the first meeting. And what really changed life for me literally that day was there were people living a very non-monogamous lifestyle, but then coming in to share their experiences. And it was a very just like you, for anybody listening in, it wasn't like a hookup club. One of the strict rules where you're not coming here to pick people up. It's just a group where people share their experiences and struggles of non-monogamy. And it's a community. It was the idea because for a lot of people, I was in my circles anyway, I was one of the first people who was openly talking about non-monogamy. Like I practically hold a megaphone and talk about non-monogamy. And I go through phases. I mean, right now I'm just so saturated and busy that I only have the capacity to hold one relationship for myself. But for me, I would be 100% okay if my partner goes and dates other people. Because for me, it's not an or, it's me or them. It's me and them. So it's an and rather than an or. And I feel like, you know, love does is not a scarce thing. It's an abundant thing. I feel more loved when I see my partners feeling more loved. And I feel more love towards them. And it's... You know, you, you meet different people who strike different facets of you. And to some people, I am, I don't know, just a heathen living a very bizarre lifestyle. And to them, I say, you know, I see the beauty in monogamy. I think monogamy takes a lot of work as well. I just don't think for me it comes naturally. I also think non-monogamy, like any other thing in the world, requires a lot of work, a lot of uncluttering and deep understanding and dismantling of your belief systems. To me, it just makes more sense. Just, I don't know, I'm, I, I want to love multiple people and you love multiple people in different ways. And that is non, non-monogamy for me. And it's, it's hard to date as a non-monogamous person. It's very counterintuitive. If you're monogamous, you will end up with more people. Whereas if you're non-monogamous, immediately people are like, oh, he's looking for an excuse to cheat. But the beauty of that is the people who you do end up meeting are, you know, have done the work and have processed their own life things and have come to a place where you're like I am very secure in myself and I do believe that I think you're pretty cool so it's a I'm I'm more than happy I much rather live this way than completely end up in another monogamous relationship lie to myself lie to my partner constantly dread the idea and break up with them so I can start seeing other people I much rather be a non-monogamous than a serial monogamous who jumps from relationship to relationship to relationship but yeah, I mean, do you, do you have any questions about non-monogamy? I feel like I've been talking about it. Is there any focused thing you'd like me to talk about? 
nothing specifically uh, related to non monogamy but of course like you've uh, always talked about even in your previous uh, podcast and between the two of us we've talked about this a lot about ge- the general topic of communication right so yeah. i had a question about your perspective on communication because mm-hmm. often i mean communication is great i think there was one podcast to quote you it's not not just you but also rachel like communication is fucking sexy but um but uh, there are times in relationships right where you feel like your partner should intuitively know what you want or know how you feel and telling them about it may sort of it might be the opposite of what you're trying to achieve like you know sometimes you're in a situation where you're like oh me telling them defeats the purpose of them doing xyz so mm-hmm. wh- what are your thoughts on that oh so much to unpack there why do we expect people to read our minds where is this coming from i don't think any one of us grew up expecting people to read our minds clearly somewhere along the way we were told that true love is when they intuitively know what you need but here's here's my question how how would they know what we need if we're not communicating what we need and how do we know what we need if we aren't doing the work to better understand what our needs are I will go on a whole triad and I will take take on the establishment when I say this. A lot of our generation grew up with ideas of love that came down from generations before us, but also we grew up at a time when the internet was much bigger than it would have been for our parents' generation, where songs were far more cheesier than they'd ever been before, you know, and more artists making those cheesy songs. And I mean other creative mediums as well television movies I don't think I never saw theater as a kid because that wasn't an avenue that was accessible to me but I I've been very mindful and now when I consume any media I'm very mindful that most of this is wishful thinking that people are conjuring up which is something I very categorically try and not do with my own writing I try and do very realistic romance and if I ever talk about romance because a lot of I mean let's take Bollywood for example right I mean a lot of these stories are written by chauvinistic middle-aged men talking about love as if they know exactly what that is i believe communication is super sexy and this is coming from somebody who hated communicating in relationships i would hate asking my partner like hey i am feeling really left out and i feel you know that we haven't been communicating well but what i really need right now isn't for us to hump for 15 minutes and think we're back in groove no what i really want us to do right now is cuddle and can i just cry because i feel really shit but obviously nobody taught me those skills and they, 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 i mean i wasn't even told you know i was raised with the model of men don't share and that is very counterintuitive and this goes across gender lines and you know sexualities I think it's so okay to communicate. How do we ever expect the people we're dating? Fuck that. How do we ever expect our friends for that matter to know that they need to support as if we don't tell them we need support? It's the same with relationships. I I really wish I I was as communicative in my early relationships because even if they would have ended, I think everybody would have just left less traumatized and I I I find you know it's it's so deeply unrealistic there's I I mean it's it's a very cyclical conversation but I find it so deeply unrealistic to expect your partners to read your minds because that's not what love is love would be if you've communicated and your partner holds that space for you fucking I don't know cooks the dinner that day and then does the dishes as well I think that's love and you know that's 
that 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 in a very roundabout way, I think that's that's what a good healthy relationship does look like. You communicate, and other person meets you in the middle. I think that's definitely something that a lot of people, not just in India but globally, need to like keep in mind. Mm. I see that so much with, especially with men. I'm not putting it all on men, but especially with men, like the ability to communicate really needs to yeah. go up. I mean, it's. Um, all right. So I, I, um, I, I will say though, before we mm. jump to the next question, I think men historically haven't been good at communicating. Part of that is we were never taught how to communicate, but also we were never given permission to feel and communicate. So for anybody listening in, if you think your man isn't communicating, or your mate isn't communicating, or your brother isn't communicating, or whatever, the men in your life aren't communicating. If you're encouraging them to communicate, you also have to be then very good at holding space for them when they do communicate. And it goes to other men as well. I think men need to hold other space for other men as well, you know, uh, if and the best example, you know, this is I can think of is if your mate comes up to you and says they're going through a breakup, it's not a good idea to be like, oh, let's get drunk. Fuck that bitch. Not a good response. I think what I would do in that situation and what is a very healthy response is to just ask one simple question. How are you doing? And then you can go and have a drink and just talk shit about this horrible relationship that your friend was in. But I think you need to hold space for other men. Otherwise, why would why would anybody share? Yeah, it's a responsibility, right? Like when somebody who in general is not used to communicating is opening up or being vulnerable, it's important and it's a huge responsibility to make them feel like it's okay to do it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm going to jump on to the next question. Uh, there was one question which said that, uh, you know, what is your proudest accomplishment, uh, both personally and as an artist? For a second, I thought you were going to ask me the would you rather question. I was like, no, don't do this. Don't do this. Prana, <laughs> um, uh, would well, you rather? <laughs> uh, would I rather talk about my proudest personal accomplishment first or my proudest artistic accomplishment? Um, I think my, I, I'll start with the personal. I think where I'm at now, I have wanted to work in mental health for a very long time now. And for the longest time, it seemed really impossible to get to where I'm at because I was a history graduate and a political science graduate. And I love those two things, but I never could have had a career in those because I just wasn't invested enough academically. And to be in a place where I'm writing a dissertation for a psychoanalytic master's and I'm about to start training in one of the best training institutes in psychodynamic psychotherapy in the world is, I mean, it's a, it's a damn good personal accomplishment and I am fucking proud of it but also I think in in a very roundabout way I think beyond that you know I mean at the moment because I'm in the thick of it 100% psychotherapy wanted to be a psychotherapist for so long fucking can't wait to be one but my my proudest personal achievement is I I often say you know 10 year old me would be very proud of who I am I have an even better personal achievement I think 22 year old me would be very proud of who I am today 22-year-old me made many mistakes, hurt a lot of people, had no clue how to communicate, had no clue where to get help. But I think the journey that I've had over the last six years nearly has been, it's, it's been personal growth on a level I never thought, I never genuinely never thought I'd be the person that I am today. Uh, okay, I'm just going to say this here because I have known you for over 12 years. I am also very proud of you. Like I could not have pictured you where you are today and I am so glad that you are where you are today. Thank you. Thank you. See, I always knew you were a good person. I just wasn't sure I was a good person for a very long time. And I wasn't. Jesus, I was a, I was a dick. And I'm really glad. I'm really, really, really glad I'm, I've done the work. 
And I mean, there's a million apologies to make, but the, the best thing to do is to do the work and make sure you never repeat those things again, I think. And you take ownership. I think ownership is very important as well. Um, but no, I mean, you're fucking incredible as well, dude. And uh, I've, I think I've always known you would be. But thank you. I, I appreciate that. Um, my proudest artistic accomplishment. I want to say this podcast, but it would be an easy answer. It wouldn't be. I mean, so many people have listened to this. I never expected, you know, nearly. We're, we, we, we've had 1,700 people listen to the second season. That's just the second season. It's mad to me. It's fucking ridiculous. So I, I would say the podcast. But I, when, I, when I started this, I had no clue how many people would listen in. A lot of season one was just people that I knew kind of listening in. You've been one of those people. My mom has also been one of those people. My mom has listened to every fucking episode that I've put out. Bless that woman. She's, she's learned about my sex life third hand <laughs> far more than any, any, any fucking parent should. But there she is. Uh, love that woman. Bless her. But also, I, I, I just think, I, I hope people got something good out of this. I, I, I mean, that's why I do this. I do it because I believe the conversations that we're having are worth having. And I think it's the biggest contribution I have made so far to the artistic community. And I hope to make greater contributions as well. But the one that I'm most proud of, other than the podcast, and I really want to plug this because this is what started me on my creative journey. Uh, and I also want to give a big shout out to James Ireland. They're, they're a family friend and I mean, they're, they're family to me. And it was, it was the most bizarre circumstances that kind of led to this. But basically, James messaged me and said that the Abbey Theatre was looking for a submission for their Dear Ireland series. And uh, I, I sent something in and that got accepted and they were going, only going to select 20 stories. And I had a piece feature in the National Theatre of Ireland, which to this day is the most bizarre thing I've ever experienced because there was a whole fucking photo shoot that happened. It was, it was hilarious. It was bizarre. I felt like a celebrity and I do want to feel like that more. It was, it was truly, to this day, the highlight of my creative life. It was like, holy shit, people are seeing my thing. But yeah. Wow. I remember that photo shoot because suddenly, like, everywhere that picture was up. Like, I think yeah. you, your, your display picture. <laughs> it's the last good photo I have of me. I very rarely get photos of me. I should get, like, another couple of headshots done. But yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, talking, you know, when you were talking about your uh, personal accomplishment, right? We talked mm -hmm. a lot about your journey and that has been a constant topic, uh, through the podcast, uh, series. But, um, what I want to understand is about your journey towards forgiveness, right? Mm -hmm. What I've realized is that people do change, right? It's not that people can't change yeah. and you're a prime example of that, but when you take that journey, to what extent does forgiveness work? Like when you've made mistakes in your past, but you're willing to rectify them, how grave a mistake does it need to be where you reach that threshold where, okay, like cannot forgive this? I don't think I have an answer of what the threshold is, but I, I have an answer around forgiveness. And I hope in some way this answers what you've just asked me. I don't think you can rely or you should even, I not even fuck rely. I don't think you should do the work because you're hoping that people will forgive you because you can make the apology, but there is no expectation and shouldn't be an expectation that you will be forgiven. And I think that's significant because if you're doing the work just so you can turn around and apologize to the people you've wronged, you're doing it to get the apology and be forgiven 
And I don't think you're doing it to do the deeper work of like, where are these unhealthy things that I am bringing to the world coming from? How do I make sure this never fucking happens? And I can give a couple of examples to maybe help with this throughout my journey. But I think the hardest part of the process and the journey, and I mean, you and I have talked about a lot of this, people on the podcast, because, and you're dead on, I think I don't tend to talk a lot about my own life because it is about the guest and I want that to be the focus. But in my own personal life, obviously, I mean, there's been there's been a journey and there's been a, I mean, mounting years of me making mistakes and then growing from them. But I think the hardest part of it all has been forgiving myself because, in, in you know, we, we all have a moral compass. Psychoanalysis will say it's the superego, it's the moral authority. We, we are often our harshest critics. Right. When I'm in the editing room and I'm listening to my voice, I'm the harshest like, oh, bro, I sound so bad. And that transcends to the mistakes that I'm making. And so, I mean, examples, and I do want to talk about these because I think they're, they demonstrate in some way just how shitty I was, but also how I'd like to think I've grown as well. And as you, obviously, I'm going to listen to this, but for anybody listening to this as well, this, please don't take away the idea that, you know, oh, but because he's done the work, that absolves him. It doesn't. It really doesn't. I really did hurt people. And it wasn't fair. The reason I did the work isn't so much to turn around and be like, please forgive me. No, you must forgive me. It was to, how do I make sure I never make another person feel this way? And my, my last relationship, I, the reason I went into therapy was because I knew something needed working. And, you know, it takes two to end a relationship. We couldn't communicate to save our lives. We were young kids. We didn't know how to do love how to do relationship we just winged it we faked it till we made it at least that's what you know she used to say but i do think when i reflected on that relationship i do think i brought a lot of um there were unhealed parts of me i've talked about this on the episode with ronith kind of there was so much rage that cynthia gave me and this feeling of being in, being inadequate that i forever felt inadequate in that relationship i felt inadequate by virtue of that being an interracial relationship so, so feeling like she was, you know, she could do better than me because I wasn't adequate, you know, and rather than that turning into self-pity, which I almost wish that was the case, it turned into something very vile and, you know, almost cancerous, which like it encompassed our relationship. I always wanted to have the upper hand so that I could control that relationship so that if I were to end it and if I did end it. It was me leaving her rather than her leaving me and confirming my worst fears. Spoiler, she did end up leaving me. And I am eternally grateful for her ending that relationship because I know I wouldn't have. And what, what the worst thing about that, all of that, I mean, there's so much in it. I, I had issues with, you know, just, just getting angry and never hurting her, never doing that. But just like, I remember this one time I picked up my phone and threw it. What the fuck? That is not an acceptable behavior. And in, in therapy, when I first brought it up, I was filled with such shame. I mean, I mean, I was filled with shame when that happened, but like years of compounded shame and years of just like, holy shit, you idiot. What the fuck? And I had to work through, I had to work through where it was coming from and I had to work through why. It wasn't anger at her, it was anger at my own inadequacy. And I know this is one side of the story and she has her own side of the story and I want people listening to this to be mindful of that. But I think what I'm trying to get at is I was a shitty boyfriend. And so for the longest time, I just stopped, refused to be in a relationship. 
because I knew I was very unsafe and I knew there were very unhealthy things about me that I needed to work on. And I feel privileged that I was in a city where therapy was readily accessible. I feel privileged that I had a job that could pay for that therapy. I feel privileged that I have a family who was very supporting of the idea that their son was in therapy and that that was okay. And that my mom raised me to be a man who could say they were not doing okay. There's a lot of privilege in me being able to access that resource. And that resource changed my life. I would not be the person I am today if I hadn't started therapy. All I hope and wish for is I fucking started therapy three years before I did. But the whole idea now is to make peace with the the deeply flawed person that I was so that I can start becoming more of who I am. You know, I, I, I don't, I f- feel ashamed of the things I did. I still do. And I will, I think, do. But I have learned to forgive that part of me. And I have sought apologies for different things. You know, I, I went for a position in a charity in Dublin and it was and ended up being fairly competitive. And co- that competition brought out side in me where I was a dick to the person that I was running against. And we used to be friends. And I do think we could have been such good friends, but I was just an asshole. I was a competitive asshole. And for years, I was oblivious, not years, but for the entire duration of my time in that charity as the head of that charity, I was like, yeah, this is I'm, I'm, I'm the boss. And then slowly, months, months, months down the line, I was like, oh, Pran, you fucking idiot. Oh, Jesus Christ, you idiot. You lost a good friend on this. And I did make the apology, you know, after a year and a year too late, I think, but I was more ready to make that apology. I apologized to them. I reached out to them and I apologized. And, you know, they were very honest with how they felt. They were very honest in sharing with me how I made them feel. And then they were and I respect them immensely for saying that, you know, I appreciate the gesture, but I can't forgive you because you contributed to the worst year that I've ever had, which is why I'm coming to, I don't do the work and I've never done the work. And even the things that I'm working on at the moment, I'm not doing it because I'm hoping people will forgive me. I will still ask for forgiveness and I will make that ask. If for nothing else, then I'm hoping that that somehow they get a closure that, you know, and I get a closure that at least, you know, it's done. There's nothing left open, but I think I'm doing the work because I need to learn to forgive myself for a lot of these things, but also just to make sure that I'm, you know, I'm healed. I'm not carrying a lot of these ills that I've had and that I can be a safe partner, a safe father. I want to be a dad someday, a safe, you know, friend. I think I'm a better friend to you now than I've ever been just by virtue of just like having done the work and just being a good, well-rounded human being. Yeah, no, I think it's great that, you know, you did put in the work. And I think a lot of people can't exactly be blamed for how they are at a certain point in their life, because it's a lot to do with, you know, their experiences and the kind of situation that they they grew up in. Like you had your boarding school experience. Other people have different types of experiences that kind of um, make them who they are. But I think it's really important to recognize the problems and work on them. And it's also important to ask for forgiveness without expecting it. And you have to take ownership for the things you did. I will say Cynthia contributed to a lot of things, but I still did those things. Cynthia didn't do those things. I did. You know, the model of masculinity that I grew up around, patriarchy is to be blamed for a lot of things. But also, I still did those things. I can't be like, oh, I did it because of patriarchy. No, I did them and fuck patriarchy. Both can be true at the same time as well. And I think what I'm trying to say is it's not, you have to take responsibility, you have to take ownership of the things you've done. All right. So I know that was a heavy one and I'm sorry that it was such an intense one. I think we, sh- we can move on to um, 
one question that I think even I had and it came up in the questions as well, right? Who is your dream guest for your podcast? I mean, if we're talking celebrities, I would love to interview in a, in a, ideally in an episode that we both that they're both in because they're like kind of I, I have the biggest crush on them. You know, Michelle and Barack Obama. I would love to interview them and I'd love to talk about their relationship and their love life and the journey is, you know, president and first lady, but also, you know, living such a public life. They are dream guests. Trevor Noah would be a dream guest for me. I would love to interview Trevor Noah. I mean, what a what an experience it would be. I would love to interview Ashling B. I think she's one of the fine, finest comedians ever and she's Irish as well. So there's an affinity there. But if I'm talking about like people that I know or people or like the kind of conversations that I would want to have. I, I, I know I've talked about her quite a lot in this episode. I'd really like to do an episode with my ex. Maybe at a time, you know, that we've both feel where... It, I, I mean, I know I certainly am ready to have a conversation and hold a conversation in that context. But it, I, I think it would forever be a dream opportunity and a conversation to not dissect our relationship, but talk about our relationship. What happened to us since that relationship? What a journey has been. That would be a conversation. I would love to have a conversation with my dad. And I don't think that conversation is ever going to happen because my father is not a very vulnerable man. But I think it's a conversation I would absolutely love to have of his experience, his life, a journey that he's been on. I think that would be quite an experience. Also, okay, so talking about your dream guest, who has been your favorite guest so far? I mean, you already know this because we talked about this and I don't think it's a surprise at this point. It's my mum. Come on. Have you listened to that episode? Fuck me. I feel lucky that I managed to get my mum on this podcast and we talked about the things that we talked about. To this day, it, it, it will be it will be a highlight for me in my life. But the irony of it all is we've had far deeper conversations since and we will always have those conversations. But man, my, yeah, fuck me. My mum, she is the I don't care if Obama comes on this podcast. My my mum, she's she's the that best was a beautiful that was a beautiful conversation. In fact, it was something that was so relatable because I know that I've had similar conversations with my mom. So I, I was just telling her recently, I was like, okay, I'm going to make you hear this. Like, if nothing else, this is one episode that mm-hmm. you have to hear. So yeah, no, it was, it was great. All right. So uh, I think we're pretty much done with the questions that came yeah. in from people. But I do want to know what we're looking at, what we can look forward to for season three. Okay, um, so there will be a season three of the podcast. I just have to, there's a lot of big life things happening for me. As I mentioned, I'm starting a training in September. That'll be a full on psychotherapy training. And I want to make sure that I give enough time to do both my academic and professional life justice, but also this podcast justice. I have reached a point now where I am very close to a burnout and I don't want to repeat this. There's obviously things that I'd like to change coming up to season three. Uh, I have to have an idea of the guests that I want to have. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and see what, what comes up for me. I think I'm going to take a bit of a break at the moment. There will be a season three. I think if, if I'm going to give rough dates for when season three of Love and Citizenship may come out, it'll probably be around September of next year. So a year from when you're listening to this now. And Hopefully by that time I have an editing team and my Patreon has really taken off. But that, that also kind of depends on whether I manage to do this other podcast that I've been thinking about for a while, which still has to do with vulnerability and conversations. But I am in the process of, uh, it's a done deal, the project outline and the map of what that podcast is. 
is completely laid out. There's just certain pieces that need to fit. But at the moment on my Google Drive, it has the title of the Intimacy Project. That is not going to be the final name of the podcast. It is very much a work in progress. There's a theme for project names ending with project. But I'm still working on it. There need to be financial things that need to happen before that can take flight. But trust me when I say this, I am spending a lot more time than is healthy trying to get it to happen. Hopefully, hopefully that comes through. And if it does come through, it'll probably be again September of next year, in which case it'll be staggered where we do one season of Intimacy Project and then the next year do a season of Love and Citizenship and then do a season of Intimacy Project and then do a season of Love and Citizenship. And it's staggered that way. And uh, yeah, I think that's that, that's in terms of podcasts. I'm going to take a big rest after this episode airs and just not worry about podcasts for a bit. I also have a dissertation that I'm writing on that I've only written 3,000 of the 10,000 words out of. At the time of recording this, it's still mid-July, so I have a bit of time, but I will be focusing a lot more on that. I also just want to take some time and just enjoy London without academic stress or occupational stress and just enjoy this city in summer. But also, I think, you know, I have a story that I've been working on, which Till it comes out, I don't think will fit in the category of my personal artistic accomplishment. But I've been writing a story. It started with a short story. It's now a script. I decided to do a screenplay of it. It's called Then Again. It has taken many shapes. It's changed a lot. Um, My people on Patreon will actually get an update pretty soon, as soon as this podcast fucking wraps up. I love doing this, but it's taken so much of my life. And I just cannot, cannot wait to put that story out. Because it's it's a love letter to my friends. It's a love letter to love. There's a there's a lot in that story. It's it's the proudest I have been of something I've created. Those characters are like I've birthed them. It's it's a it's an artistic accomplishment. It's to, to have a story start to finish. It's it's been a journey and I'm going to work on that till next September, I think. But yeah, those those are my future plans. I'm starting to I mean personal plans. I'm training to be a psychotherapist. And yeah, I'm just really grateful to have the friends that I have, to be sharing a house with somebody that is practically a brother to me. Just, I'm, I'm really happy. I'm just really happy where I'm at in life. And I'm just looking forward to just spending more months being happy. And to, I, I, I think, you know, it's, I, I, I have to thank you as well. I mean, you've been a significant part of my journey in life. But also, you know, you're one of my patrons, which I deeply appreciate. Uh, but you've also been like one of the biggest advocates for my creativity. Just I, I greatly appreciate you. And to anybody and everybody listening in, I appreciate you tuning in as well. I mean, it means the world to me that random people in this world who I've never met and possibly won't meet tune into these episodes. And I just hope I just hope you get something out of it. I mean, that's why I do any of this. That's why I do anything literally at this point that you on the other end of this work get something out of it. And I also want to give the biggest shout out to my other patrons. I mean, people putting faith in your creativity and supporting it. I got to buy this microphone because of my patrons. I I love you and I adore you and I cannot thank you enough for all your support. I I am deeply, deeply grateful to each and every one of you. And to my guests, fuck me, my guests, man. It means the world genuinely for people to, you know, take a chance and bring their vulnerability on this podcast. It's it's a personal achievement, a highlight. It's unlike anything I will ever experience. And 
I wouldn't be here. This has been a dream of mine and I'm living that dream now. It wouldn't be possible for people agreeing to jump on. That includes you as well. You're a weird mix of a guest and a host at the moment. But like, I this, thank you, genuinely. I'm definitely a host, not a guest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe someday you'll be a guest. Uh, season three, who knows? But no, I, I just think it's uh, it's an exceptionally privileged position to be in a place where you you have people agreeing to come on to these things and doing it. We've done more episodes this season than we ever could. There were meant to be three other guests for this season where just like timings and world events just didn't align. But I'm definitely going to have them for the next season as well. But while we're here and while I'm talking about this, I do owe a big gratitude to my guests from season one. So this is going to be many names, but you know, David Kelly, James Ireland, Ella Dawson, David Scanlon, Aisha, and Liz, Donica, uh, Fernanda, just just the biggest thank you. But also my my folks from season two for allowing me to do another season of this. The biggest, biggest fucking thank you to Ronit, to Kenny, Mrinal, Sukanya, Rachel, Killian, Mum. I was going to say Mita, but like, no, Mum. Uh, Henry, Sinead, uh, Liana and Carolina for for agreeing to just jump on this podcast. And it means the world. I mean, God, man, the conversations we've had and the hours of conversations I had, I fucking, the hours I've poured into these conversations as well. It's been, it's been a journey. It's been an experience unlike anything I've, I've ever experienced. I think, you know, it's, I, I, I will definitely kind of be a broken record, but just, yeah, means, it means the world to me that people do this. And that's, that's all I'll say. Uh, big, big gratitude, lots of love. So I'm really glad that you let me, uh, host this today and ask you these questions because I think I'd been thinking about just generally the fact that I need you to talk for a while. So uh, I'm glad we did this today and I'm glad you made this podcast because it's honestly been really um, amazing to hear all these amazing, amazing. I'm again, like you said, being a broken record, but it's been amazing to hear these conversations around vulnerability, relationships and everything else that has happened in the last season and this one. And I think not just me, but you know, there are topics where I can introduce it to other people and it has helped a lot of people, I feel. So uh, thank you so much for doing this. Um, we have all benefited from your hours and hours of hard work that have gone to this. So thank you. Thank you. Amla. Well, because since, since this is the last episode and you know, I, I will be outrowing this, but before I do, uh, I had a question because I know you've done this. I think you've said this before in one of the other episodes, but, um, I'm going to ask this to you as you have to all your guests. Um, if you had to go back in time and talk to your younger self, what would your advice be? Usually I tell people to go back to their 10-year-old self, and I think I've answered that version of the question on Henry's episode. So I'm going to answer this question. If I could go back to to 18-year-old me, I think that'd be a good age. I, I only get an hour. I would say create, write, maybe eat a few. I mean, maybe don't eat as many milky bars because you're going to be lactose intolerant soon. That'd be a, That'd be a big advice. But no, I think... In, in a very serious way, I just say there are the things you're carrying within you right now that seem like the worst in the world. You're, you're hiding your monsters under your bed and you're afraid that if you look down that bed and if you look under that they will consume you. But you fool, you absolute idiot. What you don't realize is you have to look at them. You have to shine that light so that you can give them a voice so that you can see that they're actually not as terrifying as you think they are. And the moment you do, the moment you shine those lights at the part of yourself that you think are unlovable and that you think people will never love, 
or the fact that you have all these stories that you want to tell, but you just feel so underconfident that you can't ever put the words on paper. Or for the fact that sometimes, just just sometimes, there is a part of you that is terrified of running a marathon because you know you'll never be good enough. Give those parts of you a voice. Give that a light. Accept those parts of you. And just, just treat the people in your life with all the care and love that they deserve and are so rightly deserving of. That is, that is going to be, that is going to be my answer. And um, when you do revisit this podcast 10 years in the future, I mean, yeah. you won't send it to yourself, but when you revisit it, what is your hope for the future? I hope I'm in a healthy relationship. This has been something I've been talking in therapy. There's a, I really would like to be in a relationship and not in like, oh, I just want a relationship for the sake of it. No, what I think I want is a partnership, somebody that I could start building a life with. So I'd really like to have a life partner at that point. I hope I am surrounded by people who I love and who I adore and that there is love abound. I, I hope I have many doggos. I, I hope I have a kiddo. I hope I have one kiddo. I, I hope I have a family. I hope I have a kiddo who just feels loved and knows that their parents love them. And I hope I have my dream of a cafe and my creative retreat where I'm allowing other creatives to just express themselves and create beautiful pieces of work that will change the world. And I just hope I can be a facilitator for that creativity. I, I hope I'm seeing clients and I'm hoping I'm making meaningful difference in their lives. And I hope I get to still live in London. I think I've found my home. I, and I think I found a place where I do really want my love and citizenship to be, to be truly honest. So I hope I have both love and citizenship at that point is basically what I'm trying to get at. Uh, just glad I could do this. Glad to be here. And yeah. I'm looking forward to all the work that you're going to put out soon. You've always been an artist. So I look forward to everything from then again to the intimacy project or whatever it's going to be called. So absolutely looking yeah. forward to all of that. And uh, yes, looking forward to meeting you soon. And uh, thank you again for coming on and hosting this. It's very weird not being the one hosting it. But again thank you for listening to this season of love and citizenship this is it this is it we're wrapping up season season two and uh, again the biggest shout out to my guests to my folks to every single one of you that chose to listen to this and keep and keep an eye out on the socials because there will be more updates on when when season three happens and whether whether the intimacy project happens this year or the next but anyway this has been me with the second season of love and citizenship And I will catch you in the next one.